Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, church family. Man, you look great. You look great. Thanks to all those that are here. To those that are joining us online, we are glad that you're here. If you've not kind of given us a handshake and checked in, we'd love for you to do that and just have a little bit of interaction uh, with you. If you have a Bible, I trust you do. We're going to end up in Romans chapter 8 if you want to grab it and begin to make your journey that way. Um, but we're, we're going to take a, a bit of a detour getting there to really, again, understand where we are. Uh, if you follow along week to week in our small group study guide, you will see the, the text for next week's message there to help you begin to spend time in God's Word. That's our heart as a church, is we want you to dive into God's Word, to learn to study God's Word, to extract God's truth, let the Spirit teach you and instruct you. Uh, so if you've spent some time in Romans 8 this week, you're going, okay, that's a lot. Uh, you're right. Uh, we have a series in a day uh, this morning, um, but we're not digging in. Uh, you will be out for lunch um, unless the Holy Spirit keeps you here. Um, but uh, there's a lot of content here. And, and so, instead of trying to get to all that, we're, we're sort of taking a, a 30,000 foot look at, at exactly what Paul is diving into here. But there's a lot there. Uh, and I encourage you to dive back in and just look at it yourself this week and, and just kind of see what God is teaching. And if you've spent time in Romans this week, you're going to go, wow, that's really familiar because there's a lot of great verses in there. Uh, matter of fact, there's some great verses in here. Some of you may have them like on shiplap on your wall somewhere uh, or, you know, some other little signage or something on your desk or a table because there's some wonderful truths of God's Word that we find right here in Romans chapter 8. Let's look at a couple of them. Can we do that? Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you're going to know this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. Uh, you may know it a slightly different phrase. This is the English Standard Version that we're using this morning. You know, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Great truth, right? Amen? Yeah, wonderful truth. We love that. Uh, Romans 8, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Yeah, great truth. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Anybody got that on shiplap on your wall? Yeah, I mean, you know, these, these are great things. Matter of fact, two of our favorites actually bookend this chapter. If you've read it and you're looking at it, you're going, yeah, I love that. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation, a penalty, right? We're, there's no penalty if we're in Christ Jesus. And then the end, as Paul is kind of wrapping up this little bit of a thought in verse 38, he says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, uh, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Man, these are great truths. Here's the problem. When we simply look at great little truths, because what is Paul saying? He said, look, there's, there's no condemnation. There's no separation. How encouraging is that? We're, we're forgiven. We're secure. 
But in the middle, in the middle of those things, he says we're in a battle. And to experience these things, we have to experience the battle that goes with it. If you come to Jesus thinking that it's easy, well, I'm going to come to Jesus and everything's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be wonderful. Never going to have another problem in my life. Wrong. Wrong. That's not in Scripture. It's nowhere there. He says if you come to Jesus thinking that life is good and wonderful all the time, you've got another thing coming. He says life is a minefield. Life is a battlefield. But listen, we don't battle alone. If you're looking around the church this morning, we battle together but we also have a helper that Paul really presses into here in Romans 8 that we want to look at through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the difficulty in looking at any of these verses, as wonderful as they are and as great as they look on a plaque or a screensaver, what we, what we miss is if we simply try to grab that verse completely out of context, we misinterpret Scripture. And when we misinterpret Scripture, everything starts getting out of whack. Uh, we look at one verse, wow, that's really a wonderful verse, but if I take it out of context and I, and I misinterpret it or I interpret it incorrectly or it's misunderstood, it will affect my walk and my relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and when that takes place, uh, matter of fact, when you think about it, Satan will do this. He's done it before uh, when he tempted Jesus Right When Jesus went out into the, the wilderness and he spent 40 days praying and fasting and Satan came and tempted him, what did he use to tempt Jesus? Do you remember? He used scripture, didn't he? Wonderful scripture, completely out of context, and, and Jesus had to battle it with scripture. And so Satan will, absolutely will, use God's truth and he will use good things from the world to deceive us and distract us. We can claim some promise of God, but when we don't actually understand it properly or understand it in its context, uh, things then maybe don't go our way. We get upset. Well, hey, this, I have this promise from God, and, and, but it's misunderstood, misinterpreted. Well, what do we do? Well, then we get mad at God and Satan wins. Sometimes we grab great truths and we misunderstand it or we're not applying it properly or we think it's just an easy believe-ism type of thing. And then Satan uses that as a strategy to then get us frustrated with God. Paul's saying, no, to experience these things, we have to battle. Uh, we have to do battle. And, and listen, there are timeless truths in God's Word, wonderful promises that will only be fully realized and experienced in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ when we do battle. And so that's what we're looking at. If you spent time in Romans chapter 8 this week, what you realize is this is all about the Holy Spirit of God. These promises are, are in the context of this deep, intimate relationship that God desires with you and me with the work of the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. But he says to get there, we have to battle. Uh, we have to do warfare as it would. The great pastor, commentator, theologian Warren Worsby once said, he said, sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is either a, battle, is a battleground and not a playground. 
Did you catch that? Every believer, every follower of Jesus discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. As I was reading through this chapter over the last couple of weeks, just in preparation and spending time in the Word, my mind kept going back to 1988. Some of you weren't even born yet. But there was a sort of the grandfathers of contemporary Christian music. There was a band called Petra. Anybody remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, so Ronnie, Bob, John, Louie, if you guys are watching, man, love you. Thanks for your ministry. Um, you know, because they tune in every week. So, um, but they, they did an album in 1988 called On Fire. And one track from that was called Minefield. And my mind just kept going back to that song. And I thought that is a perfect, perfect illustration for exactly what we're talking about, right? Life is a minefield. And Satan is doing everything he can in the life of a believer to distract us, to pull us away from this intimate relationship with Christ because he does not want us to be effective. And he will do it through harmful means and he will even do it through good means. Satan will use even good things to begin to distract us in a way that pulls us away from our relationship with Christ. So there, there's three things, two things, one thing I want to show you this morning. We're going to go three, two, one. Are you ready? All right. Is everybody ready? Good. Here's what I want you to see. There's three enemies. We have three enemies and the battle is all around us. See, all through Scripture, we learn that as Christians, we face these three enemies. The first enemy leads all the other enemies, and that is the devil, all right? Well, we don't often come to church to talk about the devil, but we need to talk about him because he is your enemy. He is out to destroy you. He is out to kill you. He is out to distract you in your walking relationship with Christ. And in doing so, he will use evil things, and he will even use good things. He's in charge of these other enemies that we face, but, but let's just understand who he is for a moment. Uh, because he's referred to as the devil, that means accuser. He, he is accusing you, that's, that's what he does. Uh, he's referred to as Satan, which is simply the adversary. He is the enemy of God. Matthew chapter four, he's referred to as the tempter. Uh, John chapter eight, Jesus calls him a murderer and a liar. Matter of fact, he says he is the father of lies. First Peter chapter five, Peter says he is like a lion seeking someone to devour. He comes along, he wants you to think he's your friend, he wants you to think he's got good things for you. He has one objective, he wants to devour you. First Corinthians chapter four, Paul says that he is the God of this age. Paul also in 2 Corinthians 11, he says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, that he is a schemer and a deceiver. This is our enemy that leads the other two. So the second enemy that I want you to see is the world, the, the world. Now, uh, when, when the Bible talks about the world, the world refers to the system around us that is opposed to God. And, and it is under, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter two, that it is under the control of the prince of the power of the air. In other words, Satan, the deceiver, the schemer, the father of lies is in control of this earthly system that is opposed to Christ. 
And, and so he will use the world and its system to distract us and to divide us and to do everything he can to destroy us. Why? Because he's the father of lies. He's the deceiver, the schemer. He's the enemy of God. And he wants to do everything he can to bring you down and make you least and less effective in your walk in relationship with Jesus. John, in, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, he, he points out that the world system, and, and John uses this phrase, the spirit of Antichrist. Now, uh, don't, don't freak out over this Antichrist thing. Uh, Antichrist is, is a verb and a noun. There is a person coming in, in biblical prophecy that is the Antichrist. But John also talks about the spirit of Antichrist, which is in the world, which is opposed to Christ, Antichrist. In other words, it is opposed to Christ. Listen, all you have to do is get up in the morning and realize that we live in a system and a world system that is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't take long. It's getting worse, and we want it to get better, but we know that the prince of the power of the air is in control and that this is not my ultimate home. And as much as I would love for it to get better, and I will work to do all I can to be a good citizen here on earth, I know that my ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And that this world is, is under the control of Satan. And that there's this spirit of antichrist that is moving in the world. And that Satan, my enemy, will do everything he can to distract me from my walk and my relationship with Jesus Christ. Including using all the things of the world, be it good or bad. So here, here's just an example because John in 1 John chapter 2, he says in, in verse 16, for all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Your, your translation may be more familiar where it says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What are those things? Well, the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh are simply the cravings of my sinful desires, of sinful man, my human nature. It's the things that I crave. It's the things that I desire. Uh, the lust of the eyes or the desires of the eyes are the things we look at and appeal. Now, again, these things may not all be evil. They may be good in nature, and yet Satan will use them as part of the world to distract us in our walk and relationship with Jesus. And then he talks about the pride of life. These are the things that we boast about, the things that we have, the things that we do. And those become a distraction because Satan will use those things as our enemy. He will use the things of the world. Interesting, this has been his strategy from the very beginning. He's not really created because of exactly what he's done from the very beginning. If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, this is exactly what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, you can see it on the screen. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, right, lust of the flesh, and, and it was delight to the eyes, it was appealing, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, there it is, the pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Do you hear? It's the exact same language. Boy, that looks appealing. Boy, uh, that seems like it would be good. Boy, I want that. And, and we begin to pursue these things. Not that they're, all things are inherently evil, but Satan will use those things as a tool and a mechanism to begin to pull us away and distract us because that's part of his warfare strategy. And so in Genesis 3, when it says that she took of the fruit, that word took, 
Just so you should circle it or highlight it in your Bible because that word took means that I am more important. I took something for myself. I'm more consumed with myself. That is, that is in essence the heart of sin. I want something for myself. I'm more concerned with myself. And this can be so very subtle, can I say, even in the church. When somehow we get to the place that we think church is all about meeting my needs, that's prideful, that's boasting, it becomes sinful. They say it takes 40 days to form a habit. And as good as technology is, can I say, I think it's been incredibly destructive to the body of Christ. Because when, when I can stay home and think, well, my needs are being met, and I can go to church by myself, and I will say that God never intended for you to be by yourself. But when we take, I want this for myself, my needs are going to be met, I'm going to do this for me, then it becomes destructive. And, and it's such a subtle, subtle thing. So when Adam and Eve took, that word took introduced sin and separation and fearful hiding from God. It's so subtle. So Satan will take the, the strategy, it's about me, it's about my needs, and, and he will use the world and all of its desires to appeal to our third enemy, which is our flesh. It's our flesh. Our third enemy is our flesh. The flesh is the old nature. It's our sin nature. It's a thing that I was born with and the thing that was very evident in my children when they were born. I never had to teach them to sin. It was absolutely amazing. Of all the things I, I desired to teach my children when they were little, I never had to teach them to sin. Never had to teach them to want their own way or to be selfish or prideful or boastful. Why? Because it's inherent. It's who we are. We inherited it from Adam. Matter of fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. So we're all sitting here together in the same boat that we are all sinners before a holy God, and that sin causes separation. It, it, it is our old nature. And when you come to know Jesus Christ, uh, we, we have this new nature that's placed in us. But, but what I didn't understand when I came to know Christ is that my old nature was not going to be completely eradicated because it's still there. So I don't know if anyone else can testify with me, but uh, when I came to know Christ and maybe someone else besides me, anybody else still have a struggle with sinful nature and desires? You don't have to show me your hands, it's okay, because we're going to get really personal here in just a minute, right? Um, but you, you still struggle with sinful desires. You, you struggle with temptations. You struggle with the old ways of life. You struggle with pride. You, you struggle with thoughts that are dishonoring to God. You, you struggle with hatred toward other people, with selfishness, with covetousness, with greed. The list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? But you think, wow, but I'm a child of God. I, I thought I wasn't going to struggle with these things anymore. And yet we do because we have in us these two natures. And so that, that leads us to our second point, that, that we fight our, our three enemies from two natures. We fight three enemies from two natures, and our battle is ongoing. You see, because our old sin nature is not eradicated when we come to know Jesus, we keep fighting it as children of God. 
And the picture is this. The picture is if I were to take this, this bottle of water and, and, and instead of completely emptying its contents and put something else in there with it, I just put another substance in there. And now there's these two substances in the same container. That is my life in Jesus Christ. Because I still have my old sinful nature that, that struggles to do the things that God calls me to do and the things that I want to do because I am fighting my sinful nature and I'm fighting the presence of God. Matter of fact, I, I love what Paul says because leading into chapter 8 is Romans chapter 7. And I just want you to get a picture here of what Paul is saying. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, this is Paul. The great apostle Paul, I'm sure he had a big shirt that had a super S on it because he was like super Christian Paul. But this is what he says. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody? I want to please God. Why can I not please God? Why do I do the things I hate? He goes on, if we just pick it up down in verse 18, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my sinful nature or my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now here it turns into even more of a tongue twister. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but my sin or the sin that dwells within me. From, from verse 7 of chapter 7 all the way down through verse 25, Paul is dealing with a battle. And he's being very honest and very transparent about the things I want to do and the things I don't do. He goes on to close out chapter 7 by saying, the things I want to do, I don't do. Oh, what a wretched sinner I am. So what I've done a number of years ago is I, as I personally dealt with this battle myself and I started to really acknowledge it for myself, I wrote in the margin of my Bible two words. I've got it highlighted from that section on and I wrote two words in the margin of my Bible that I encourage you to write in there. Two words, civil war. Civil war. One nation battling against itself. So here's Dave. Are you ready? Here's Dave. I have my old sin nature and I have the new spirit of God who dwells in me and they're doing this. Not just once. Not just once a week. Not just once in a while. Every moment of every day there is this war that's being waged. And, and I will consistently start my days with a very simple prayer. You ready? I will say, God, thank you that you've given me eternal life. See, I don't have to invite him in. I know he's there. I'm claiming the promise. I am a child of God. Thank you that you've given me eternal life. God, I thank you that you live in me. But I also know that in my sin, I do not have the capacity to live a life that's pleasing to you. So the best way I know how right now in this moment, I surrender my life completely to you. Fill me with the presence of your spirit. God, live through me and make me the person you want me to be today. And that's great until I encounter another human being. <laughs> hey, am I alone here? This is the truth. And, and so then I encounter another human being other than my wife because she's incredible, you know. Um, but, but it's like, wow, there's this battle. 
And so when, when I have that encounter and I sin, what do I do? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I have to confess my sin. God, I am so sorry. God, I displeased you with my life and I confess that to you. I ask for your forgiveness. Fill me with the presence of your spirit. Live through me. Make me the person you want me to be. And that's great. And then I get in my car. The car is not a great place for me. I'm just telling you. My flesh is really strong in my car. Matter of fact, any car I'm in. <laughs> because I'm an incredible driver and no one else is. And so I have these moments all the time. Oh, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Live through me. Make me the person you want me to be. So it's like it's this constant battle of the flesh. This is what we deal with. There are two natures that are battling constantly over and over and over. And so when we look at Romans chapter 8, as Paul is continuing this idea, right, I am a wretched sinner. I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, I'm a horrible person. And then he begins Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, I struggle, but there's no penalty. There's no condemnation. God is not condemning me because of the struggle of sin. Matter of fact, when you read Romans chapter 8, and I encourage you to do this, just go back the first 16 verses. It, it's so incredible. The first 16 verses, 17 times Paul uses the word spirit. He actually uses it one other time referring to our spirit, our soul that testifies with the spirit of God that we are children of God. But 17 times he's referring to the spirit of God. 17 times. And in those same verses, he uses the word flesh 13 times. You think he's trying to drill home a point? There is a battle that's being waged in the heart of every follower of Jesus between my sin nature and the nature of God that he has placed in me. And I love what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, we are given, when we trust Christ, we are given the gift of the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing all of our future inheritance. Now, I'm not experiencing, I typically don't experience it to the fullest until I'm in complete and absolute surrender and abandonment to Christ, but, but it's there. It's available for me to, to tap into and to utilize as a deposit, guaranteeing everything that's still coming. And the more I grow in my relationship with Christ, the more I learn to surrender to the Spirit of God. The, the battle never goes away. It should become easier, and I would hope that after all these years in my relationship with Christ, I wish that I were further down the line in my victory that I am, but I'm just being honest and transparent, it's still a daily struggle. Because I battle these three enemies from these two natures. But then I want you to see one victory. One victory. We fight three enemies from two natures for one victory at a time. You see, our battle is one moment by moment. Because what Paul begins to unpack, and let me just share these things with you quickly. Because uh, if, if we're going to live in a relationship with Christ, moment by moment, winning the victory, there's four things. Now, there's a whole lot more in this chapter that, that we could literally do a series around, but we're not doing all that this morning. I want to give you these four highlights. Are you ready? First, we have to live in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. If I am in Christ, Christ is in me. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
You see, in order to live in the Spirit, we have to be made alive by the Spirit. In other words, we have to be moved from, from our death and our trespasses and sin where we took, which introduced sin and separation and fearful hiding from God. We need to be brought back into a right relationship with God and we need to be made alive in Christ. In order to live in the Spirit, you must first be made alive in the Spirit. You have to come to know Him. And, and what Paul is saying is, his, is that those who are in Christ, there's, there's no condemnation, there's no penalty for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. Do you see the title that he attributed to the Spirit? He is the Spirit of life. Paul goes on in, in Romans 8, he calls him the Spirit of God. He calls him the Spirit of adoption. Uh, he calls him uh, the Spirit of Christ. We have to be made alive to move from death to life. Now, the word death, as he uses it here and all through Scripture, you need to understand that death means separation. And, and the Bible refers to three types of death. It refers to a spiritual death where Adam and Eve took of the tree. Do you remember, do you remember what God said? If you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Did, did they die? Trick question, right? Trick question. It was not poisonous. They did not die a physical death. They died a spiritual death. There was separation. So they, they died spiritually. There was a spiritual separation. You and I, even as a child of God, when I allow sin into my life and I take for myself, I create a separation between me and God. It doesn't mean I'm not his child. Matter of fact, Paul really presses into that later in Romans chapter 8 right here. The spirit of adoption that I become a child of God. But that, that sin separates me from fellowship with God. And, and so there is a, a spiritual separation, but there's also a physical separation. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, it says, it is appointed unto man once to die. Death is 100% fatal. And there will come a place in this life that I die. Regardless of technology and medical advancement or anything else, uh, because I realize I am not created for this world, that, that I will live for all eternity in the presence of God, but there will be a, come a day physically I die. I am separated, my eternal soul, from my physical body. Uh, that's what death is. It's a separation. But then the Bible also talks, the third type of death the Bible talks about is an eternal death an eternal death, because see, every single human being is created as an eternal being. Every one of us, everyone you know, everyone who's ever born is born an eternal being. The question is, do I have eternal life or do I have eternal death? If death is separation, eternal life means I am in the presence of God for all eternity. Eternal death means that if I die not in a right relationship with God, I spend an eternity separated from God and I live an eternal death. There's a physical death, a spiritual death, and an eternal death. And Paul says we have to live in the Spirit. If you've been made alive in Christ, we've moved from death to life. We have to acknowledge that we are now alive in Christ, that the Spirit of God lives in us, and we are going to live in the Spirit. But then second, we need to walk in the Spirit. Uh, picking up in verse 3 of Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law. What was required? What was required was righteousness. What what was required was, was a blood sacrifice. And he says, Jesus paid the price and he fulfilled the requirement of the law for me and for you. And and what that means is that at that point in time, because he fulfilled the obligation, uh, that there is no obligation on my part to continue to live under the sinful nature. But now I am to come to know Christ, to live in him, to have new life in him, and to begin to walk in fellowship with the Spirit of God. To, To walk, as Paul says, hey, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If we're walking with the Spirit, that word walk carries with the idea that that we behave and we conduct ourselves according to the Spirit. So we have to walk in a manner that that we behave according to the Spirit, that that we're walking with the Spirit. If you ever go to walk with someone, you don't meet up and go your different directions, do you? Hey, let's get together and walk. Or, Or if you're a runner, and I don't understand runners, but let's say, let's say you want to get together with a runner because running and training is easier with a partner, isn't it? That's why the body of Christ is so critical. We don't do it on our own. I tell, I tell Christians all the time, you got to quit trying. Well, I'm really trying hard. I'm really trying. I said, quit trying. Here's the secret. Quit trying. You're trying harder. You need to train harder. Walk in the Spirit. Walk with someone. Find other people. Hold you accountable. Go, my life is not what is honoring to God, and I want to change. I can't do it on my own. I need someone to walk the journey with me. I'm going to walk with the Spirit, and I want you to walk with me. We do it all the time when we go to the gym, the train, when runners run, but we don't just say, hey, meet me there, and then you go different directions. No, you go, we're going to do this together. We're going to walk together. Now, as a dad with three young kids once upon a time, there were days it's like my, my step, my stride was just a little bit longer than my kids. And sometimes I would look back and go, come on, hurry it up. And I wonder sometimes in my walk and relationship with Christ, how often the Spirit of God does that with me. Dave, we're going this way. Walk with me. Walk with me. Now, Paul presses into this idea of spirit and flesh over and over, and he really hits it again in Galatians 5, if you just want to kind of read that and press into it. But, but I love the phrase he uses, because in Galatians 5.25, he says, we have to keep in step with the spirit. And see, if we're walking with the spirit, then we need to keep in step with the spirit, which means I'm kind of following his lead and not my own. I'm going to walk with him. Thirdly, I want you to see that we have to set our mind on the Spirit. We have to set our mind on the Spirit. He really hits this from 5 down through 11, but let me just look at verse 5 and 6. Paul writes, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. He's saying, look, to to set your mind means that you have understanding, that you have companionship with, that that you're setting your mind on the same types of things, almost as if you're setting goals, you're setting purpose, you're setting identity 
with one another. Daniel did this in Daniel chapter 1 in the Old Testament. It said Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. In other words, he made a decisive decision of his will that I'm going to honor God. And he set his heart and he set his mind on that. When we do that in relationship with the Spirit, we set our mind on the Spirit. In other words, what we feed grows. I don't know if you've noticed that, but when you feed something, it grows. Anybody ever been to a camp or a conference, some kind of Christian camp, Christian conference, and you come back and you are fired up? Just me? Anybody? You go, man, you're fired up. You, you know what just happened? You, you know why camp is so awesome? You know why some Christian conference is so awesome? Because you did two vital things that we learned from Scripture. You starve the flesh and you feed the Spirit. You want to set your mind on the things of God? You begin to starve your flesh. Get off social media. Turn off the news. That stuff is feeding our flesh. You want to set your mind on the Spirit? Begin to memorize Scripture. For every one of you in this place, especially you guys right now, Galatians 5, 16 is a great place to start. I challenge you to commit it to memory this week. Start today, Galatians 5, 16. Oh, Pastor Dave, I can't memorize Scripture. That's not true. I'm just telling you, it's not true. It's a subtle lie from the enemy who's trying to deceive you. He's a schemer. He's a traitor. He's trying to devour you. And yes, you can memorize Scripture. One verse at a time. Don't, don't try to do a whole chapter this week. Galatians 5, 16, start there. Just start with that. I promise you this. If I went out and we jumped in your pickup truck and Luke Bryan was playing or somebody else, you're singing every song, man. Whatever's on your playlist, you're singing it, you know. We're, we're going to town. We're, we're driving down the road. You're singing every song. What did you do? You memorized it. Why? Because you listened to it over and over and over and over. You can memorize and you can commit to memory the things that are important to you. You'd have to set your mind on Christ. It's like a marinade. I love to cook. I love to throw stuff on the grill, and I love mostly to eat stuff off the grill. But, but when you take a meat and you stick it in a marinade, and you might leave it for hours, you might leave it for overnight, you might leave it for days, what is the intent? The intent is that that meat begins to take on the flavor. It begins to absorb all the herbs and all the spices and the flavor of that marinade. Folks, listen, when we set our mind on Christ, it's like setting our mind in a spiritual marinade that says, I want to abide in Christ. I want to walk in Christ. I want to live victorious in Christ. I'm going to set my mind on Christ. I'm going to commit his, his word to memory so that, what, what did the psalmist say? I've hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against God. What did Jesus do when he was tempted by Satan with Scripture? He answered with Scripture. And, and if we're going to set our mind on Christ, we need to absorb his word like a marinade, and we need, to, we need to begin to pull it out, and we need to begin to live it, because we're setting our mind on the Spirit. Last, I want you to see that we need to be led by the Spirit. From 12 down through 17, uh, Paul begins to talk about the spirit of adoption. Now, if we are children and we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says, you have to be led by the Spirit. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In other words, if you're walking in obedience, it doesn't earn salvation, it proves your salvation. You're a son of God, you're a daughter of God because you're walking in obedience and you're being led by the Spirit of God. Not as an obligation, as a result of the work that God is doing in you. 
And, and to be led implies that someone is following. You know, that they speak of leaders all the time and said, if, if you're a leader and no one's following, then you're just walking around, right? You're just taking a walk. Leaders lead and they have people who follow. If we're going to be led by the Spirit of God, then we need to follow the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God says, Dave, don't go there, guess what? I don't want to go there. But, but the battle of the flesh says, no, God, I want to do that because that's what my flesh says. And if I'm going to be led by the Spirit, then I need to follow the Spirit. The indwelling Spirit, right, is this new work within me. And, and because He's doing this new work within me, there is this new work that comes out of me. I begin to take on a, a different uh, perspective, I guess, and, and I begin to live differently and people begin to see something in me that is not me putting it on from the outside, but it is the inside. It's the Spirit of God working in me, producing something new and fresh on the outside. Why? Because I am walking in the Spirit. I'm living in the Spirit. I've been made alive and I'm walking and I've set my mind on Him and now I am being led by the Spirit of God. But all of this it's really interesting because, again, when you read it, and I encourage you just to spend some time here this week, there is such a deep implied relationship between a follower of Jesus and the Spirit of God. And, and it's so intimate, and it's, it, it implies this deep communication that I am in deep communication with the Spirit of God. I am in fellowship with God. I'm listening to the Spirit of God. Uh, he's speaking to me. I'm following His lead. I hear His voice. Why? Because we're in communication with one another. Uh, I'm memorizing His Word, and His Word clearly will tell me what I'm to do. And some people say, well, you know, uh, I, I believe this is God's will. And I say, God's will for your life will never contradict God's word. Don't, don't tell me it's God's will for you to do something that is in direct contradiction to the word of God, because that's a lie from the enemy, and he's doing everything he can to devour and to destroy your life and to make you ineffective for the cause of Christ. But what do we do? We're led by the Spirit. I have to go here. Last night, so I was just kind of reading through, and I was thinking, where, where is our close? Because we can't get to this whole chapter. We can't get to everything that Paul is unpacking here. But in closing, I want to take us to this verse in Romans chapter 8, just a little bit further down in the text. Just listen to this. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray We don't know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you hear the relationship between a follower of Jesus and the Spirit of God? When we're so in touch with the Spirit of God that we say, God, I'm struggling and I don't even know what to pray for. God, I don't even know what to ask for right now. Would you give me something? I don't know if you've been there. I've been there. I've been in those moments where, God, I'm not really sure what to do. I'm not really sure where to go. I'm not really sure. But God, I just need you to intercede. 
God, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. It is a battle. And Lord, sometimes I'm not even sure what to pray for. And I simply go and I just sit and say, Spirit, just intercede. Begin to do a work. Begin to intercede on my behalf. Now, I'm not sure where you are this morning, but I'm going to close this in prayer. And I just want us to go to an extended time of prayer in this place. So everybody in the room, everybody online, just bow your heads, would you, in an attitude of prayer. And Father, in this place, we thank you for the work of your spirit that makes us alive. God, that we can walk with you, that we can set our mind on you, that we can be led by you. Would you, Father, through your spirit, lead us. In this room, I want us to just go to a time of prayer. You see, we can talk about spiritual warfare. We can talk about the battle. But every great action calls for people to step up and serve. And this morning, I want, I want to call you out. I want to ask you to pray. I want, you to ask, I want to ask you to do business with the Spirit of God this morning. We've all seen those battle movies where everyone's in a room and one by one people begin to stand, say, I'm in, I'm in, count, count on me, I'm going. I believe that part of what we've been going through as, as a nation and as a church has really weakened a lot of our experience spiritually and it's weakened a lot of our effectiveness spiritually and God is calling us to step up and to step out, to live as brothers and sisters in Christ filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, fighting daily, moment-by-moment moment battles. I'm going to ask you to fight that battle this morning. I'm not sure what God is doing in your heart, but I promise you that, I absolutely promise you this, Satan is doing everything he can in this moment to distract you. You feel hungrier than you did all day. You're anxious, you're antsy. Believe me, God wants to do a work in your heart and life right now. Our praise team's gonna to begin to sing. If you wanna stand and sing, you are certainly welcome to do that and join them. But what I would really love for you to do is just battle this morning. Between the spirit and the flesh, there's a war being waged in your heart and life right now. Are you gonna walk in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or are you not? Have you come to know him? If you've never come to know Christ this morning, I would love to have a conversation with you. Open the word of God and help you understand what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, Satan is doing everything he can to distract you right now. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you have the same battles that I have, moment by moment, day by day. But I want to, I want to encourage you today to take a stand. And, and the front of this stage is, is really an altar and I want to invite you to come you're going to say, Pastor Dave, can I just stay in my seat and do battle? Yes, you can. You can. But I promise you a noticeable difference when you do business with the Lord in boldness and courage and you step up and you move. You take action immediately. A small step of obedience in this place will lead to a greater step of obedience outside of this place. Yes, you can do business with God exactly right where you are. And if you need to do that, you do that. But I want to open this altar. And maybe you want someone to come alongside you. We would love to do that. If you just want to come and spend a moment here doing battle by yourself, we encourage you to do that. 
So even before the, the praise band begins to sing, if, if you're doing business with the Lord this morning and you want to come and just spend a moment and pray, I'm going to encourage you right now. Would you stand and come? Just all through the room, wherever you are, I want you to stand. I want you to come. Just kneel down here. Begin to do battle with the Lord. Say, God, I am here to pray. I'm asking you to intercede on my behalf. God, I'm asking you to teach me, to instruct me, to be led by you. I want to walk with you in fellowship. I'm inviting you to come. Take a small step of obedience. As we begin to sing, if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to remain seated and do business with the Lord, do that. But if you want to come, I really encourage you, come, join me. Come join me. Let's, let's battle together as a body of believers. Let's battle together as individuals because we are fighting a battle. Let's do this together. Father, in this place, would you move through us, in us, in a way that only you can through the presence of your spirit. God, let us do a work with you in Jesus' name. Amen.